Good afternoon and welcome back to the EJS show on the Liberty Block. Today it is hosted by Ed, Gina, Mike. We have Jody back with us for today and we may pick up one more Ed as we go along. As always, we're recording this live. We'll have it up as a podcast within about an hour after its completion. And as always, we invite listeners to send any feedback they may have to our email, which is ejsshow at protonmail.com. Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon, guys. Hi, everyone. Hey, everybody. Supposed to to say Mike in New Jersey, right? We're going to unmute Gina again. I I did it. I was doing it at the same time. That's the problem. Gina in NC. There you go. NC, North Carolina. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) As always, there is so much to talk about that even when I go through to cull and to only talk about the most important things on my mind, there's still way too much to get to, but I'll go through those things on my mind really quick and then everybody could talk about what they think is most important. New York, we had a court overrule the mask mandate, which made for about a half an hour of celebration until the governor got up and said she's gonna ask for a stay. And then it took another couple hours for her to get a stay. And now we just have confusion about the masks. A big story several days ago was Barry Weiss on Bill Maher ripping into the COVID fascism. I don't know if you guys all heard it, but it's- That seemingly- made Whoopi cry. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. Seemingly important because it's, you know, it's Naomi Wolf and it's more liberals starting to get the idea that maybe this is over the top and maybe we need to do something. I think we're all aware of the truckers' um caravan or convoy, whatever they're calling it in Canada, to protest. I saw a story today that they've raised over $5 million for this protest and GoFundMe will not release it. So once again, we have tech blocking anything we can try. We have Peter Schweitzer back with his story that shockingly the Bidens have made about $31 million off the Chinese but no, nothing to talk about there. So maybe we don't even have to bother with that one. I don't know if we're going to talk about the M&M story. I assume everybody's following that. Yeah, the purple Skittle. <laughs> in your the- mouth and not in your hand. There's a story about facial recognition tech and the IRS, which I didn't even realize several weeks ago because I'm actually signed up on that. So I guess mm-hmm. the IRS now knows. In addition to every single factoid about me, they even know how gorgeously handsome I am or aren't. One of y'all shared the Wisconsin story about a judge forcing people to stay on their job, which is quite an interesting story. We have the uh, school board member who basically told parents, we don't work for you, which kind of jives with the other story. Um, Amy Therese, if I'm pronouncing her name, we have to break through the idea that kids belong to their parents which I think that goes back to Hillary Clinton's. I was just going to say that. She said something like that. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to dump all this out there. Could be that some of you also want to talk about the Supreme Court retirement that's about to happen. Right. I was going to say that's the hot news of the day. You didn't even include it. I'm getting to it at the very end. So Ed, since you spoke first, why don't you uh, take over? I I think that the Supreme Court story is a pretty good story. it's about time for Breyer to, to go. And I think that he's reading the tea leaves. If we really do have a fair and open election in November, the Senate next year is not going to be nearly hospitable to his replacement. So I think that he wants to get out uh, sooner than Ginsburg did. 
and he wants to give Biden a chance to appoint someone with a Democrat Senate. And, uh, you know, he wants to try and influence his replacement in that way. Weren't they pressuring him to leave? Uh, I don't I'm not aware of that. I've heard rumors about that. They had rumors about that. That was for sure. You're 100 percent right on on what you're saying, Ed. I think for us on the other side of the aisle, it makes no difference other than that his seat will be locked in for another five decades. But you're not going to get much more liberal than him, are you? Oh, I think you get more liberal than him. I, you know, I'm sure that there are a ton of uh, Court of Appeals judges that are just waiting for the, to be nominated. Uh, but I'm going to offer a, um, a dark horse right out, right out of the gate. I think there's a chance that he's going to nominate uh, Kirsten Sinema, who is a lawyer who is very leftist in her personal beliefs. She started off with the Green Party and Ralph Nader. Um, and it's the perfect kind of Obama type punishment to get rid of somebody who's your enemy. And I, I mean, I haven't heard anything, obviously, there haven't been any candidates floated in a couple hours since the story broke, but that was literally the first person I thought of when I heard the story. That's a good way to get cinema off the court, off the, out of the Senate. And frankly, they're not going to, the nomination won't happen until probably August or September or even maybe October. And by that time, we're going to be almost to the elections. Uh, I don't think that her place in the Senate is going to be all that important at that point, unless, unless they're planning to ram it all through in a, in a lame duck session, but she's sort of made it clear she's not going to play game, play ball with that. So. um, uh, Why is it going to take so long? Well, because Breyer is going to not going to retire until after this term. He's just going to say effective at the end of the term. And so he'll be there through June. And then, you know, over the summer, they'll make a nomination at some point, probably towards the end of the summer. Doesn't that weaken their chances because there may be even Democrat senators who don't want to go go with them on that right before an election? Why wouldn't Democrat senators want to go with whoever Biden picks? Um, you already have a few that are kind of in the middle and the pressure is going to build really strongly before the election. I'm just wondering. Mm-hmm. I mean, anything's possible, but I don't really foresee that as, as a real possibility. Well, now, I think, you know, we're way ahead of the curve. So we're going to mark this down. Ed Maslish predicted this one. If he's, oh. he's way, way ahead. She is missing one qualification. It's not a fee. She's, she's not black. And that's and what he said on the campaign. That's what he woman. said on the camp. That's what he said on the campaign trail uh, last year or 2020. This is 2022. Oh my gosh. But that is what he stated. So there are a couple speculations of some black women that they are already throwing some names out. Well, she could identify as black. I was going to say, isn't she related? She could be related to the Dolezali. I mean, honestly, I think whatever happens in the fall, if the Republicans get control of the Senate, it's not going to matter because Republicans never stop a Democrat nominee, no matter Mm -hmm. how radical they are. They stopped Garland. well, okay. I mean, he never. Thank he, gosh. True. I mean, they, McConnell, to his credit, stepped forward and made sure that he never even got a hearing. But if he gets to the point where they have hearings, uh, no, the Republicans won't, won't stop the nominee. 
I think the circumstances there were different because of the presidential election year and they could use that excuse and everything like that. But the Republicans aren't going to stop it. Mitt Romney's not going to stop it. We'll call, it the, we'll call it the Romney-Cron virus, Republicans who go along with whatever Democrats want to do. Do you think the administration <laughs> will be dumb enough to make the mistake to hire anybody or fulfill a, a place, a vacancy, just based on color and gender again? Of course. Why? I mean, I know they they're don't, They don't think that's stupid. Well, no, because it's backfired so much with Harris and she's done a piss poor job. And it's it's just it's looked horrible on them. And I'm just wondering if they're they've learned anything from that. I mean, they you, could nominate Stacey Abrams. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I know Stacey they Abrams would that check name. all the boxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By she the way, they, I came to mind, actually, was who I thought that they would choose. Yeah, and the other thing we have to remember about um, Garland was that was going to change the whole composition of the court at that point. So there was a lot at stake. This is just a re- replacement. So the Republicans aren't going to stop whoever. Biden puts out. Okay. Mikey may get the cynic award for this topic. I don't, I don't think that's cynical at all. I think it's reality. That's no, sadly, the- you're making a very good point. You're right. Yeah. The Republicans will say it's not a loss for us. Who cares? Let's be nice. Yeah. You Especially think they're going to go after it? You're going to pull them- a Kavanaugh or a Bork on any? Right. Especially <laughs> after we beat them in the elections, we should be nice to them and not make them feel bad. I think it depends on how the election goes, including how the how the primaries that are about to start go. I mean, if you get a really radicalized Republican majority. I mean, I'm not saying that they're going to govern and I'm not saying that they're going to impeach Biden, but uh, I think that there are a lot of Republicans that will that are going to want to be strident. You know, I mean, you know, one story that you didn't mention in your list was, you know, Chip Roy is leading us leading an effort to to defund, you know, to defund the mandates and threaten to shut the government down unless they defund the mandates. So, and I don't think he's the only one. I mean, he's certainly a very small minority today, but, you know, let's see what happens in the primaries and let's see what happens in November. I I believe it in the House, we may get a lot more, you know, freedom lovers that are active, but the Senate, I mean, first of all, how many seats will change in the Senate? Um, how many Republicans are up for election? None of them are going to be primaried out, correct? Um, well, the class of 2016 is a Republican class, so there are probably more Republican seats up than Democrat seats. But I don't, I don't remember off the top of my head who the who the you know vulnerable you know who's up and who's not up. I mean, I would say we may pick up Demo- we may pick up seats in the Senate. But I can't imagine we'd replace any wussy senators in a primary because that's really hard to do. You're not going to see that this year. I mean, I'm hoping we, you know, replace Liz Cheney in a primary for the House. And supposedly that's easy, but you never know until it happens. So. All right. Now I threw about 10 stories out there. What else (laughs) is interesting to people? I think uh, I was a little interested that Pelosi's decided to run again, um, that and this supposedly will be her last term, but she's got a lot of unfinished business that she has left to do um, with immigration being one of her uh, key factors of why she's running again. And I just thought that was a hoot. And I know she's going to get elected again, which is so disheartening, but 
I, I just thought at some point, like you've got whooped enough, step down while you're still on top. And so I was kind of surprised to see her running again, in all honesty. Well, if, guess, she, if she chose not to run, it would be almost an admission that she's expecting them to lose the house. I don't yeah. think she wants to make that statement. Yeah, well, they're, they're I mean, they're going to lose. What They've got, what, 29 Democrats that are retiring this year now? I think we're up over they only have a, Is it? Yeah, they only have a majority of five. Right. Yeah, they're going to get slaughtered. Absolutely. I guess she could run and then bow out for some reason if, if she wanted to, because... Again, if we win, she's definitely not the speaker. She's not going to want that position. Right. And there's going to be a revolt against their leadership from the youngins, I believe, especially if they get thrashed. I think it also depends on, like I said, you know, what kind of Republicans take over. Um, I, I don't think that the Democrats are stupid. I think they know that they're committing a lot of crimes right now. And I don't think that she wants to just walk away from the house and not have her nose, you know, her ear close to the ground to hear what they're thinking of doing and to possibly be in a position to try and stop it. Um, I'm not putting a lot of faith into the Republicans for to punish the Democrats for what they've done. But I'm sure that there are that Marjorie Taylor Greene is not the only one that wants to go after them. I'm sure there are others. Chip Roy, I mentioned, I think would. Um, we don't know what kind of freshman class we're going to get. And I, I don't think she wants to be, I think she wants to be a part of the house at least next, you know, next session in order to, to really have a firsthand look at what's happening and who's plotting against her. That's interesting. Cause that ascribes to her really caring about the issues and not just being there because of insider stock trading, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think she wants to go to jail. I can't imagine her going to jail, not at her age. By the way, I didn't mention, you know, Sheldon Silver died. Anybody pay attention to that story? Mm -mm. Yeah, know who that is. Former uh, assembly leader in New York. Right. One of the three people who led New York for a very, very long time, went to jail for a whole bunch of corruption things and died only a year later, which is I mean, whether he was guilty, I don't want to go into the specifics, but if somebody is guilty, I think it's great that they die in prison and die ignominiously. Was it suicide or did he just die? No, no, he died. He was 76 years old. And uh, Mike, that's two. <laughs> All right. Let's pick this Where up. was Hillary? Where was Hillary? <laughs> let's get to the Eminem story for a minute. Does anybody think that matters to anybody? Or, I mean, is it just a further... We're getting woker and woker and woker. Well, it's an M story. So all the M&Ms are now like transgender, non-binary. You know, Babylon B even came what out. You, like for real? Like, yeah, like, like the company? Real. Well, yeah. Oh. Well, Mars Candy in general has gone completely woke. So M&Ms is just the latest one for Mars. So like Skittles, for example, started doing the LGBT stuff on their wrappers probably I, a year and a half that. ago. The Halloween candy. So I quit purchasing any Mars products. Products. Um, and I love peanut MM, so that kind of sucks. But yeah, so like they have gotten rid of like stiletto high heels for what was it? The green MM, wasn't that the sassy lady? And they've yeah. given her just like chunky heels. But yeah, I, I love the Babylon Bee story about the purple Skittle now that's confused. It was great. And this world's just going crazier and crazier. Like just let because, us eat our candy. Because we don't have actual problems to attend. Exactly. To. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but. Right. 
I guess my dad says we're not going to break my M&M's, right? What the heck is the method with the candy, though? I don't get it. Well, the method to the madness is the more crazy, the more confused people get, the more help they need. And the Democrat Party is always there to help. Well, that's where like today I was opening up my little circular that comes from Sam's Club and I've not seen like I've seen TJ Maxx has all the pillows for LGBTQ and kindness and all kinds of crap. But I haven't seen anything at Sam's and Walmart per se. Maybe I just haven't seen it yet. But like you open it up and the whole inside is just it says equity inclusion or whatever the heck it says. And I'm like, that's Sam's Club, too. Please don't take that away. I like my cheap gas prices. You know, it's just, it sucks, man. It's flipping everywhere. Because Ed Maslish, if I hear you correctly, you're saying this isn't because they're woke. It isn't because of Twitter. It isn't to lord it over us. It's actually to make us insane. <laughs> Both. No, I, that's a very interesting point. One that, leads to the other. Right. What, that they don't mind the fact that they're literally making our heads spin. Not only do they not mind, that's the goal. I mean they're trying to mainstream insanity because an insane person can't take care of himself. He needs a government to take someone to take care of him. And they're trying to make everything normal, abnormal and all the abnormal to be normal. And when they turn the world upside down enough, we're all going to need their help. That's, that's the plan. What about these before Ed? I'm sure I've said it. I know I've thought it. I don't know that you've ever said that before. All right. Well, you usually say it's to lord it over us and to show that, you know, we have no power or something. But I like. Well, yes. I mean, that's more of the I I say that more about the hypocrisy. The hypocrisy is designed to humiliate us and remind us that we have to accept contradictions that we know are false and there's nothing we can do about it. And it's designed to make you feel humiliated and shamed that you that you're forced to believe this nonsense, um, but this is this is different. I think this is trying to mainstream insanity because insane people can't take care of themselves. And if there's one thing the Democrat Party stands for, it's we will take care of you. So let me ask you this question then: How many people are aware that that's what's happening on the top, and how many are just going along unwittingly, not even knowing this is happening? That's a great question. You know, I mean, and I know, you know, Mike Proto and I have known political leaders. Um, You know, I was in my town in New Jersey. I was, you know, very active. I was president of my Republican club. I knew all the local elected Democrats and they seem totally normal and you'd think they understand it. But, you know, I don't I mean, I, I don't see how they can't not know how they cannot know it. They have to know what's going on, but I don't know. I mean, I'm not a doctor. I can't make a you know a clinical diagnosis of them, but um, that's a great question, Steve. Because I, I, I often wonder, you know, I picture them laughing themselves silly, but I often wonder who, who is laughing themselves silly and who has no idea. I'm not sure that they're laughing themselves silly. I think that, I think that they're, they themselves are in their own self-imposed totalitarian society they don't believe that they can dissent and i think that they feel like they have to toe the line so i you know i don't whether they believe it or not i mean it almost becomes irrelevant they just feel like 
we have to obey. And that's part of why they're so insistent that we must obey because they are willing to obey without having a gun pointed at them, without having anything forced on them. The people like Pelosi, who's not obeying, I mean, does she realize what you're saying or she doesn't even think that through? Oh, I mean, does she realize, for example, that uh, when she doesn't wear a mask, that she's doing it to, you know, that she's, you know, humiliating her victims by flaunting her hypocrisy? There's no doubt in my mind she knows that. She but what about your other it. point? I agree with you with the humiliation. What about the other thing? The other thing about making this crazy. Insanity? Making this crazy. I, hard to say. I don't know if they know that. Right. So, an observation I've had, you know, in conversations, and I live in a state where I really just, I can't wrap my head around it. But one of the things that seems to keep coming up, and it's not just with the elites, the elites who, you know, they're the ones who get to make the rules that people have to obey, and they can, they can flout the rules and brush it aside. But it's also a lot of the people who follow the elites. It's almost like there's this arrogance inside them that precludes them from actually seeing reality. You can't even engage in reality because they're so arrogant that nothing else is true other than this that they're doing is good. And it makes me think that they, they whether the elites or the people who follow them, they have no idea that it's going to a bad place. They're, they're just so arrogant that all they see is everything they do and believe is unquestionably good. And they can't ever, they will never see beyond that. Well, I mean, why don't we take a look for a second at, at these inner city slums that are all run by Democrats yeah. and have been run by Democrats for at least 50, in most cases, 75 to 100 years. Yeah. It's not possible for them to not see the failure. They can't not see it. They have to know that whatever their intentions are, they are failing miserably. And yet they don't acknowledge anything. So it has to be by intention. It has to be by design. I don't know. I, I would never have believed it. But I, I live in a state that is one of the worst states. And I live outside one of the worst cities in the United States on every measure. And yet election time comes around and there's blue signs everywhere. And there are people who are adamant that the only good leaders are Democrats. And it just, I'm, I'm telling you, there's no, there's, there's no lack of reality facing them every moment. The, the truth is always right there, but they refuse to engage in the truth. And when you have a convert, they're mean. They're so arrogant and mean that they refuse to believe that that anything is bad, that 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 Democrat leadership is bad, that what that that poverty is bad in Illinois, that poverty and violence are bad in Chicago. No, it's not. It's not. No, see, I think, see, when they say no, it's not, I think they're lying. And I think that, like I said early, a few minutes ago, I think that they've self-imposed themselves into a totalitarian mindset. You know, for you and me, you know, they'd have to be pointing a gun at us for us to be, you know, cooperating with them and saying what they, what they want to make us say. 
These are people that are voluntarily doing it and they're so scared of the mob or so or think that they're so able to control the mob. It kind of goes both ways that they just voluntarily fall in line without being forced. And I think that the lies they tell are designed to try and coerce everybody else to voluntarily surrender their judgment the same way that these people have. That's what I think is going on. Whatever it is, it's really scary. Well, they're certainly trying to get us to surrender our judgment on COVID, right? I mean, <laughs> right. Okay, so getting back to, so, you know, Bill Maher and now Barry Weiss and Naomi Wolf, who has been red-pilled on this for months and months and months already, does that um, portend something, a trend? Like, what's happening? You get Howard Stern, who's coming out strong on the other side, and then they're beating up on him. I don't really care what he says, but are there, like, liberal icons who are starting to break through and will that matter it's gonna start to matter i mean you gotta look at rogan i mean he's not this strong conservative but he at least will acknowledge both sides and listen to stuff and ever since his interview was banned i mean more and more people are starting to wake up it's not all just the big name uh liberals but there's only so much that you can push to the side and ignore. And until it starts happening to you. So I'm sure they've faced some kind of backlash or some type of recourse or dealt with something specific that it has finally opened their eyes to what the heck's happening. I mean, we talked about something similar a few weeks ago, but until it actually physically impacts you, you know, you don't realize. So either a freedom was stripped or a loved one, you know, passed away vaccinated so something happened that they're having all of a sudden a mind change. That's what because I you're having Barry White say, I have lots and lots of liberal friends who agree with me. Mm -hmm. And will that ever, you know, flip what the masses are saying? Is there hope? I guess well, is what I'm asking. I mean, as far as is there hope, I just I, I think that the answer is yes, there's hope, but you don't know what the end result's gonna be because whenever you have this kind of that what's going to happen is you're going to get an attempt by the Democrats to use the government to coerce censorship and to and to smother any kind of dissent. Right now, they're using their surrogates in, in, in the corporate world to do it. And they're there's they're largely successful. But, you know, all these examples that you're giving are breaks in the you know breaks in the wall. And at some point, there are going to be enough breaks in the wall that the only thing that can stop it is Tiananmen Square type repression. And whether the American people are going to be willing to tolerate that is, is really the open question of the day. Um, and, you know, if, if we're really if we make it clear that we won't, then they'll be too scared. They'll back down and they won't even do it. But if we make it if we if we waver and if we make it look like maybe they could get away with it, they will try and get away with it the same way they've gotten away with the January 6th prisoners, the same way they got away with putting you know barbed wire fences around the Capitol for four months, um, they're willing to, to go all out for, for totalitarianism if we show them that they can win. So I think that's really the issue of, you know, when you ask, you know, you know, is there hope? Yes, there's hope, but we better make sure that they know that there's a line they better not cross. So is know, it interesting it, that the protest in Washington the other day, which drew tens of thousands, I don't know how many tens of thousands, that that wasn't you know, infiltrated by false flag operations and crushed like the one in Brussels was. The one in Brussels was 
canceled because of heavy police presence and threats, et cetera, but they let the Washington one go through. What does that mean? I'm not sure what it means other than the, the dissent is real. It's not astroturfed. Um, and people are not, those are people that are not willing to back down. And that's why didn't they need. crush it? Why didn't why they, didn't they, they crush it? The J6, yeah. Well, for obvious, the obvious reason that they didn't think they could get away with it. You're that's being the only way thing too optimistic today. Wow. <laughs> because that would mean a lot if that were true. What would mean a lot if what were true? If your, your optimistic understanding of it, that they didn't think they could get away with it, since they get away with everything they do. Well, whatever stops them. The but only that's what thing I'm saying. that stops them is when they don't think they could get away with something. Okay, it, let, let's be stupid. You brought up Tiananmen Square. If they literally drove tanks down on January 6th and mowed over the insurrectionists, what repercussion would have hit them back? I'm not sure that they thought that they could get the military to do that. I mean, especially with Trump being president. I don't, I don't think so. Um, you know, there's a purge of the military that's going on and they're trying to make that a more likely possibility going forward. You know, that's why there's this rush to purge the military of any kind of Trump supporter. And that's why they're using the, the vaccine stuff as a surrogate for Trump supporters, even a year after Trump is out of office. Um, but I think that's they're, they're trying to set it up, set up a situation where the, the military will follow their orders the same way that they've infiltrated the local police departments in the big cities. And the police departments are siding with them, with BLM, with Antifa, with with the Democratic Democrat paramilitary groups. And they, they're trying to make the, the, the armed forces similarly bend to their will as well. No comments? I was just gonna say maybe the 8,500 that they end up sending over to Ukraine if they do will be all the Trump supporters. Maybe they'll try to ship them all out in one, one fail swoop. I was just gonna make a joke. Um, are they sending them or they're just keeping They're them just on standby. Alert? They're on high alert, high standby, whatever you want to say it. Yeah. But Ukraine we, is still sending out warnings telling people they've got nothing to worry about. So I, I don't um, know what, there's such are, a conflict. Liberty Block's own Ukrainian correspondent who I spoke to on Monday night. Somebody called me up on Monday and said she's very worried about laser because she's heard so much going on in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. He's like, I don't know. I'm out to eat with my friends. We're having Georgian food and nothing's happening. And he still insists that it's all it's fine. Well, and that's, and that's to, you know, to evacuate an embassy in Kiev, which is like gazillions of miles away from the front, seems almost to prove that. Like, what is that? And right. Kiev is saying <laughs> Kiev is not being invaded at the very, very worst. What, what are we doing? Right. Well, I know they've even they've got. um there was a translation that was coming through, but they're making like all these announcements in the schools so the kids can understand what the threat of war is, you know, and they're preparing these kids and helping them to keep calm because it is such a non-elevated thing right now, you know, that they're actually doing this in their elementary schools. It's, it's kind of crazy. What, in Ukraine? Mm-hmm. They sure I are. wonder if that's true. Well, I don't one know. Thing, one thing I've noticed, and I, and I listen with a, with a fine ear, I've noticed that all the all the warmongering or supposed warmongering here in America, they every threat from the administration, from Blinken, uh, from 
uh, trying to think of some of the other names. All every threat is always an economic threat, or it's an unspecified. There'll be you know there'll be serious repercussions, or there'll be serious economic repercussions. I have not yet heard somebody say that we're going to send troops into harm's way. Even the 8,500 troops, as Gina mentioned, they're just on standby. They're on high alert. They're not being sent to the region, at least not yet, not as far as I know. So I, I'm, I'm not so sure that they're going to send troops there. Um, if they do, I think that the purpose of sending troops there would be to weaken our defenses around Taiwan um, and make China's path to Taiwan easier. Uh, I don't think our goal is to defend Ukraine. I think if we send troops, that will be the purpose to, to spread our military thinner and make it harder for us to defend Taiwan. Um, but I, I'm not convinced that we're going to send troops there. What if we, what if we sent Hunter over there? Could he smooth things out? <laughs> well, you know, you some people are saying that Biden is purposely going to let Ukraine fold oh. because they're not mm -hmm. paying Hunter enough. Who the heck knows? But he is the smartest guy he knows. Mm -hmm. You know, getting back to what they do get away with it. I mean, you know, I mentioned before the $31 million from China and Peter Schweitzer, as far as I know, is pretty much unchallenged in his documentation and in being reliable, but nobody's going to care. Am I correct? Like maybe one or two people in Congress will yell and that's it. I mean, lots of us care. I mean, Peter Schweitzer's written books about him. You know, it's... It, you know, unfortunately, we don't have a, a, an opposition party that's willing to fight. Right. And even next year, I can't imagine, you know, they'll say they will. I mean, can you imagine, obviously, if Trump got $31 million from Russia, you know, we wouldn't hear the end of it. But yes, you know, I remember back, I don't know how many of you are old enough to remember Johnny Chung and uh, all the Clinton cash. And what was that? There's no, what was that? No something authority. No controlling legal authority. Right. There you go, from Al Gore. Yeah, in mm -hmm, the good old mm -hmm. But they got away with it. So secession uh, is the only okay. solution, and it solves this as well. Almost every single issue anyone has ever had ever is solved by secession. There we go. We're I not. Think we have a guest. I've joined the call. This is Alu. <laughs> so, um, should we talk about New Hampshire and the hearing last week a little bit? You want to yeah, tell everybody what happened and why it's important? Well, for the first time since at least 1860, possibly in the history of humanity, there was a public hearing with public input from the citizens in a legislative body, the New Hampshire House, on essentially articles of secession. There was a constitutional amendment, which is a type of legislation that, if passed, would put the question of state independence from Michigan on the ballot. And obviously, there's a lot of pressure. And the representatives, even those who said they would support it, crushed it and um, or at least tried to crush it. They recommended, the committee recommended 21 to nothing unanimously to the full house to kill the bill, meaning to squash the voices of the citizens, to not even let their citizens vote. So they feel so strongly against independence and in favor of D.C., the same D.C. that you know has committed horrific evil against us and the world. And the FDA, I was just reminded how they said, you're not a horse, don't take ivermectin even though ivermectin was approved for humans and is one of the best drugs in the history of humanity for humans. And they said, only horses use it. If you use it, you're going to die. That's the FDA. That killed millions of Americans. The FDA, that you are forced to pay $4 billion a year to fund. And, you know, that's just one example of D.C. And yet these representatives 
love D.C. so much more than they love New Hampshire citizens because they hate New Hampshire citizens. They believe that they should do everything they can to crush our voices, to not even let us get a chance to try to vote on the questions of independence, although none of them actually read the legislation, which is only a few lines, like five lines. Not a single one even read it. What was so, interesting at that hearing was there was this one young representative there who sort of intimidated the other people on the committee by pretty much saying straight up that even discussing this is treasonous and insurrection and disqualifying you from staying here in the House of Representatives and possibly be even brought up on charges. And he came up with this interesting thought that since the Constitution doesn't speak about secession, the Constitution doesn't even have the power to let a state go. Ed Maslis, you thought you knew the Constitution well, right? You thought you were, you know, decent constitutional or lawyer or whatever. No, apparently not. Did you know that everything not mentioned in the Constitution is de facto illegal and de facto a power that the federal government has? I think doesn't, you didn't know doesn't that. Sound, doesn't sound like what the Tenth Amendment says. But yeah, okay. Well, yeah. Yeah. I'll have you know, spoke with 200 constitutional scholars. Yeah. So he's smarter than us. So those are the implied powers. No, he's he literally said if the, Constitution, if the Constitution doesn't grant this power specifically, nobody has it. And therefore, the Constitution can't grant the power to the states. Yes, exact opposite of the Tenth Amendment. But mm -hmm. he literally, he scared a bunch of representatives into thinking that they would be insurrectionists for voting on letting people decide. So, Two of the state representatives on this committee who voted no, like three days prior, told me on the phone, because I called them personally, told me on the phone they will vote yes on this. And then even in the committee, they voted no, because right before the vote, this representative, the Shea, is this traitor, immoral, horrific anti-freedom activist who is, is the worst Republican, who supports you know abortion, horrific uh, tyranny, obviously opposes independence. He's pretty much bad on every issue. He straight up told them right before the vote, he reminded them, if you vote yes, it's insurrection and you might end up in the January 6th gulag in D.C. So how do you want to vote? No? Okay, sounds good. Blackmail. And from, a historical per, from a historical perspective, generally speaking, the state legislatures would not have the power to secede. Um, the power to join and secede were thought to be among conventions of, of uh, representatives of the people independent of the state legislature. So when the Constitution was ratified, it wasn't ratified by the state legislatures, uh, but conventions of the states um, for that purpose. And when South Carolina and other states seceded from the Union, it was not their state legislatures but uh, conventions called. And that the point of that was to take the either joining or removing power away from the state legislature and put it, uh, which may have, you know, the legislators themselves may have uh, conflicts of interest, et cetera, and put it in the hands of uh, a sort of a new body elected by the people. Uh, of course, back then also there was restrictive voting for the various branches of the state legislature. So not the whole people were not uh, represented in both bodies. So from the standpoint of the legislature, the role is to call a convention. And that's all it does is to call a convention. And then subsequent to that, um, the convention itself would decide upon, you know, joining, uh, approving the constitution or removing the state from yeah, a few the points. 
Um, um, the, the one legislature I would think could do anything as far as state laws. Um, number two, this wasn't the legislature seceding. They were voting on a constitutional amendment to put it on the ballot. Um, every CACR constitutional amendment goes on the ballot in New Hampshire so that people can vote. And if two thirds voted in favor, then we leave. So essentially, they're all saying that they don't want it to go on the ballot because they're afraid two thirds of New Hampshire will vote for secession. If they thought they were, you know, if they were pretty sure that there's less than two thirds who want secession, like half of people don't want secession, they would put it on the ballot and prove me wrong. But they refuse to put it on the ballot. They refuse to debate me. Multiple state reps on that committee and every state representative in New Hampshire knows I want to debate. They all continually refuse to debate me. They don't want any debate. They voted against this unanimously because they're afraid and they're using blackmail to scare people. So and another point I would make is the union is at best the constitution is a contract. We didn't even sign it, but our forefathers did theoretically. At best, it's a contract. At worst, it's nothing totally illegitimate piece of paper that you know ha has no power at all and shouldn't exist. At best, it's a contract. They have violated the contract. The U.S. Obviously, the U.S. government has violated the Constitution, and everyone who's to the right of Marx or Bernie Sanders agrees that they have violated the First Amendment, Second, Fourth, Fifth, Ninth, and Tenth Amendments, and you know many other parts of the Constitution. Meaning, if it were a contract, it is totally void. And as everyone here knows, the fundamental principle of contract law in all of humanity and history and the universe and all the cosmos is if one party uh, willingly and, and uh, repeatedly violates a contract, and it shows you know, no sign that it was a mistake, and they keep doing it every day for 240 years, the other side can void the contract and leave and break all ties to the contract, obviously. Is there any disagreement there? Uh, no, that's, that's, that's exactly right. I think um, one of the novel um, things that uh, Lincoln um, brought uh, to the table, um, which is totally ahistorical, but he managed to sort of turn the population to it is that the nation, the United States existed uh, before the states and that the states uh, therefore were dependent upon uh, the United States as a nation. Now, this is totally ahistorical, right? I mean, that's, that's a great point. The, the states made the union. The states were around before New Hampshire was right, around right. as a sovereign republic for, for years and had a president of New Hampshire. It was a republic. Then they all joined the union and gave up a tiny bit of sovereignty under the understanding that the U.S. government would obey the Constitution. And once they broke that off, you know, the first law that violated the Constitution, if you call that the NFA in 1930s, the FDR, or Teddy Roosevelt stealing the sovereignty from the National Guards in 1910 or so, uh, the first time that happened, we should have broken the office and seceded. So they, they violated the contract numerous times, obviously. Yeah, I mean, you go back to the Declaration, and we remember, we remember a lot of parts of the Declaration, but there's one clause in there, one bunch of words that says free and independent states, that the, the colony should be, it ought to be free and independent states. That's what they were, right? And we only came together with the Articles of Confederation to try to have some uh, peace and harmony among the states. The founding fathers didn't want balkanization and obviously that could lead to wars and things like that. And we had to nudge things a little bit more with the constitution, but uh, I, I don't think the founders would have uh, subscribed to the notion that we have to continually submit to tyranny. Yeah, whenever we actually make reps about the Declaration, nobody could make any, any good reasoning for why the Declaration of Independence, seceding from Britain was good, but seceding from DC is bad. There was right. zero difference. I can make the case that seceding from DC is, is much more legitimate. The, the, the King of England, King George III was not even that bad. He wasn't one billionth the tyrant that we, of the tyrants we have in D.C. Total overall effective tax rate was closer to 3%. Now we have 50%. The regulations, the surveillance, the police state, the abuse, the infrastructure.
been at foreign wars in literally like 196 countries for so many reasons. It is worse now, more tyrannical now. Literally, I wish we never seceded. Literally, I wish that we were still under the King of Britain because we would have a lot more freedom than we have now being in the Union. With all due respect to our, our leader, Alu, Steve, where were we before we got hijacked? <laughs> I have no idea. We're talking about corruption and Peter Schweitzer and whether people in Congress care. And I said, no, give up on the union, save one state. Yeah, I think we're we Peter Schweitzer in China. Hey, Ed, where do you want to be? Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I just think that we've uh, we, we've exhausted where we're going to go with this secession discussion for today. If we want to just wrap up, we can just wrap up, but we should move on to something else, I think. Okay, pick it. Ed Powell, you since you came in late, is there a subject? Ed Powell, is there a subject you wanted to discuss? Yeah, I was at the dentist. I have a cavity, so that's annoying. I have to get it filled. Um, but uh, we were Don't talking. Don't make me go back to secession, there, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> well, the 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 tooth the tooth is trying to secede from my mouth, I think, and we got to kind of go in and uh, and uh, grab oh, it and uh, and and force the tooth to remain in my mouth. Um, well, I, I don't know what, I don't know what to talk about. There's all of the COVID nonsense. Um, Israel uh, reached, Israel's the most vaccinated uh, country in the world, and it has the best reporting system, medical reporting system of any place in the world. Um, over 90% are, are, uh, double vaxxed and 60% are triple vaxxed and um, they're actually bringing in a, a fourth booster. And just the other day, uh, Israel hit um, 10,000 uh, cases per million uh, a day, uh, which is 1% of the population got COVID in a single day, 1% with all of these vaccines. Now we we, we think we understand why that's happening, because when you get the vaccine for a couple of weeks, it basically destroys your immune response and you, makes you completely vulnerable to um, not just COVID, although that's going around, but anything else. And the limited protection that it provides only starts after the two weeks. And so with all of these people grabbing all of these boosters, they're basically devastating their immune system and thus COVID is running, running rampant through the population. So, um, so. Well, how much you wanna wager their argument's gonna be, oh, Ed, you know, it would be twice as bad without well, all the- one percent of the population I mean, getting COVID in no, a No, it would be 2%. Day, it would be 2%. Even, it would be 2%. It, it would be 2%. Yeah. That's what they do. Oh my God! I mean, yeah, that's never... exactly what they would do. That they would find the yeah. the good yeah. in it, even Something though there's no good. Something that you can't prove or disprove. You can't prove or disprove it, but they're going to say it's the truth. Mm -hmm. It would be twice as much without. Um, yeah, but but again, the unvaccinated people aren't having the same problem. <laughs> oh yeah, the unvaccinated are, are uh, getting the disease at much lower levels than the vaccinated. Again, because of this this problem that in the first two weeks, um, the other thing, the interesting thing, there was an interesting article about how you can manipulate the math because they count people as fully vaccinated only after 14 days after their second shot. 
And anything before 14 uh, days after the second shot, they count them either as a single shot or as unvaccinated. They say not fully vaccinated. Look out for mm-hmm. it. Semantics. Mm-hmm. Every yeah, article not... says ICU is filled with 99% not fully vaccinated. Anyway, you can have this. The vaccines could be saline, but because of the way they manipulate the numbers, it shows you can you can create out of whole cloth vaccine efficiency by just by the um, by the uh, the way they they count people as vaccinated. I thought that was it went through the math, this article about how you do it. It's very, very interesting. And so, I mean, the vaccines could be actually have negative vaccine efficiency just because of the way they manipulate the numbers. So I thought that was a very interesting article. You remember and, the, uh, the famous line, figures don't lie, but liars figure? Liars figure, exactly. And I guess the final um, little thing was uh, MSC contributor professor, um, and I, if I were home, I would actually play it because it's only 30 seconds long, um, uh, put out a, a tweet, a little video where she said basically that, uh, we have to get beyond the, um, the notion that, that children belong to their parents or their families. And uh, I saw that video we, and it was amazing. And, and it's, it's so ironic. About a week ago, there was a satire article in a San Francisco newspaper saying um, every parent automatically should have to give up their kids. The government should take them by force and redistribute them to the most equitable family to make equity or some equality bullcrap. And at the end, he, he makes it obvious it was satire. And I'm like, oh, you know, I can imagine that happening. And a week later, that exact same policy is prescribed by, by somebody in the elite left. Well, yeah, I mean, it wasn't satire. Uh, definitely wasn't satire. No, it this was, video um, was serious, but there was a satire article a week ago. But those yeah. of you who know history know that that's really what Marx was preaching, isn't it? Because Israel, when founded, was very socialist, and they did that. The, the whole kibbutz was taking the children from the family. Yeah, I mean, the original Marxist conception was that all of the sort of ties, the bourgeois ties that bind people together would um, would disappear, including the family, um, uh, into, you know, class ties, you know, in the Marxist conception. Nowadays, sort of the neo-Marxist has taken that um, to be, you know, racial and sexual as well as class. Um, those ties are more important than things like bourgeois family uh, ties. And it, it also, I mean, let, let's be honest, they talk about white privilege, but I mean, what is my privilege, right? I mean, I, I have a lot of unearned privilege and primarily I was raised by a mother and a father who stayed together and loved each other for their entire lives. And uh, I mean, if that, that nowadays is, is, is the exception rather than the rule. And I think that, um, you know, if, if there's any privilege that I was exposed to, you know, unearned gain that I was, and that, that was it, not so much my white skin. Um, and they want to take that away from the kids that still have it, that privilege. They don't even have to steal the kids, you know, with police grabbing kids from homes. They already have control of government, of children roughly half or maybe more of the time haven't, you know, done yeah, at the, you know, at from, the from schools. And 7 they try a.m. to 5, 6, 7 p.m. And they want to extend the day later and earlier. Imagine if they eventually went to overnight a few days a week or overnight 24-7 with parents getting visitation on weekends if they behave and their social credit score is good enough and they're fully vaccinated and all that. And they pay and, their taxes. And so with they government, do that. And how many people would oppose that? 
government funding of daycares and government run daycares and government run head start programs and yeah, I mean, they're basically gotten to the point where the government takes uh, more interest in your child than, than you do, unless you really go out of your way. You know, I don't know if we mentioned the story here, what happened in New Hampshire several weeks ago. Although um, I can mention his name, the one who had his children taken away. I think so now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah J.R. Hole, who's an ex-representative, a very, very active guy up there. He had his children that had COVID. The whole family had COVID. He gave one of his kids horse dewormer. His kid got over COVID and was fine. Something medically happened a few weeks later that they went to a doctor and they casually mentioned, yeah, we had COVID and we took horse dewormer and now we're fine. And they came to his house to take his teenage kids away. So the government taking kids away is not quite as conspiracy tinfoil hat as it sounds. What happened? And I mean, there's a court date in a few weeks. Nothing happened yet, but they, they do want to take his kids. They're fighting okay. it. They've spent a lot they of They haven't taken days. them yet, but they're trying I don't think to. So. It's it's costing him a fortune to keep his kids. Oh my gosh. He's a teenage. One of the kids like 17, isn't he, Al? I don't know. He has a few kids. The 13-year-old, I think, was the subject here, I believe. Yeah. Anyway, okay, having said that and having a very full compliment, if we give everybody a chance to speak about what they didn't speak about, and then we can wrap up. So you guys know where I'm going right now? I'm sorry? You know what I'm the where meeting I'm of secessionists. Right you know, where are you going? Ed, I'm arguing the Maslish stance on private vaccine bans. I'm right. driving to my debate. Good. You should be honored. <laughs> the self-proclaimed debater is, is driving deliver the Maslish theory in person because you're not here. And obviously, for everyone who doesn't know, this is uh, an issue where Ed won me over. I was 100% opposed and over the last year on the EJS podcast on Liberty Block. Ed has won me over. And now I'm going to go argue against another libertarian or anarchist um, in favor of the government restricting private business from having mask and vaccine mandates for employees and customers. And I'm going to argue on the side of government should restrict them because it's gotten so crazy with current fascism. Um, the government taking over businesses. So uh, thank you, Ed, for all that. You know, you've helped convince me and all the help over the last few years. Don't don't forget the PrEP Act. What's the PrEP that Act? Too, yep. Yep. It's, it's the it's the statute that abrogates any liability for manufacturers or distributors of the vaccine. What I just see, oh. there was a T-shirt somebody was wearing today. The vaccine only gives immunity to the manufacturers, but not to us or something like that. Yes. It's a famous theme now. Yep. Yeah. It's yeah I would. I, I would argue on the facts. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but um, the the vaccine doesn't work. I mean, you know, it, it's neither safe nor effective, and it's in fact uh, potentially very dangerous. So the the point is not this isn't even a vaccine argument because it isn't even a vaccine. It's a biologic. The the argument is in a libertarian society. Can a private employer um, require its employees to eat rat poison while telling them it was a ham sandwich? I mean, yes, that I, is. I believe, as, as an anarchist, I believe any private employer can do anything. My argument tonight is, is mostly going to be on proving that there are no private employers. There's a, a bit of agorism in the black market, but no employer is private. They're all either 10% or 50 or 80% or 100% government. When the government's making all the major decisions, you can hire, fire, pay, this, that, rooms, OSHA, ADA. The government is essentially running your business. You can be the CEO, 
You could be a figurehead. You could be a manager. But even if you think you own your business, if I own Axel Gym, I don't really own it. I'm a manager, but the government owns it. They make all of the decisions. Therefore, me restricting businesses from having max mandates is not restricting private business. It's restricting the government. That's going to be my argument that I'm going to prove tonight. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's a tough, tough argument. I, I hope I win. Even though I'm convinced that Ed is right, I still struggle with the very small businesses. And the way I formulated it when talking to Alu about it last night is any business that's not under zoning rules or labor rules or business rules or professional rules should be left alone. But I can't think of any such business anywhere. Jody, since you're a super special guest today, I'm going to let you... Uh, Take a few minutes to talk about what we didn't get to talk about. Ooh, I don't know. I I was coming on to learn and see you guys. I missed you guys. Thank you for having me, but I got nothing. You got nothing. Mike? Um, one thing that I found interesting, there was um, in New York City, two cops were gunned down. One was a 22-year-old rookie who lost his life. Uh, the other one apparently just lost his life as well. And I'm putting this against a backdrop of the fact that they've got a really radical district attorney right now in New York City, uh, you know, a Soros-esque attorney, a district attorney who's willing to not prosecute a lot of crimes, violent crimes. And I think he came out and he's making statements like we won't tolerate the killing of cops. But um, the reality is he, he's a crazy lunatic and he's ready to let a lot of criminals out on the streets and will end up being more cops dead, unfortunately. And I think the other interesting story was the one that uh, we brought up about the workers in Wisconsin. These were healthcare workers who uh, were looking to go somewhere else for employment. And a judge, I believe it was a judge, stepped in and said, you can't, you can't leave where you are now because of COVID and because the hospitals or wherever, whatever facility they were at would be overrun. And it's just outrageous. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Voluntary servitude? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. much. I mean, we're getting a, a glimpse into the totalitarian state, um, the government-run healthcare, certainly, that, that they're willing to and ready to impose on all of us. But that story was just, that was, that was just outrageous, completely mind-boggling. You know, going back to what do they get away with it, they're getting away with it, aren't they? Well, we'll see. I don't, I don't know that that, uh, has come to its completion yet. I think they were fighting it, but we'll see. Ed, in that case, who, who brought the action and what was the action? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I saw the story, but I didn't read, you know, I didn't see a link to the, to the opinion or the case. So I, I'm, I don't know. I mean, is it like one hospital sued to retain them? yeah uh, according to the article yeah they, they were working for one hospital they wanted to move to another hospital and the first hospital where they were originally working sued to block because they said that the second hospital was poaching them and that at the at the time it was going to lead to uh deaths danger in to the public yeah. because yeah. they were going to be short staffed so they're not private it hospitals like i'm saying the government runs the hospital there's a manager, but there's no right. owner. The owner is the government. They make the big decisions who to hire and fire and transfer. But I and I didn't I don't know all the details, but it looked like that hospital wanted to keep them until they replace them, which you know that puts that hospital in great power. Maybe they they don't 
replace them for three, six months. Maybe they dragged their feet to replace them. It was very um, ambiguous. Good word. I've personally never heard of a, a judge um, enjoining someone from from switching jobs. Uh, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard in my entire you know, life. And if, well, if you're that employee, if they had done that, what do you know? You know, they're forcing you to stay. I mean, can you just call in sick every day until they fire you? And then when they fire you, can you just, you know what I mean? Like it, I, it's weird. How does well, this hospital? Like I, said, I mean, Ed, Ed, then the next, you know, the next judge, step is J six jail for you. If you don't comply. A, a judge or, or, ordering or, specific or, performance or, on a non-compete. I mean, that's usually you get monetary damages, not specific performance. That's really well, if, if the, uh, well, first of all, most, but not all healthcare workers are governed by non-compete clauses. Um, and while it's true, specific performance is a rare remedy. Um, if, if there's a non-compete that's applicable in this situation, I, I, there's no, there's no money damages that are adequate at law. I mean, the whole, yeah. if the only way I to think- challenge it would be to say that it's an unreasonable restraint on trade, that it's too broad or it's too long, or it deprives them of a right to make a living. Um, but if it's a, if it's a legitimate non-compete, that would be a basis for for a judge blocking I, them. I don't know, I don't know how, if that's what it was. That would, you would think that would have been in the story if it was the case. So I don't think that that was. The well, story. No, it depends. I, of, I mean, we, our side is trying to build narratives too. I know of a lot of physicians having non competes because they garner they actually their job is to grow patient base, right? But I don't know a lot of ancillary staff like nurses and techs having non competes. They are free to go. So doesn't a very high percentage of healthcare workers work in more than one place? Yes and no. And in EMS, some companies do, maybe 50-50. Some companies say you can't work in other EMS companies. Some don't. Right here in New Hampshire, Stewart's and AMR do have some competes, but obviously in other areas they do, you know, they don't in New York, but the average EMT in New York or Medic works for three, four, five companies. So it's kind of um, uh, hit or miss there. And don't nurses pick up shifts in other hospitals? Yeah, I have never heard of nurses having non-competes. I mean, maybe they're out there. I just, I've never heard of it before. But this is also, I don't know if this is a non-compete issue. I mean, there are various clauses in various contracts, but in EMS, what I'm familiar with, they say you can't moonlight. While you're working there, you can't work there too. If you quit and leave to another job, I've never heard of anything yeah. in EMS that says you can't quit and then take another job. For a few years, right? You, um, you in think, other other sectors, there are. Yeah, I think non competes are probably. I mean, you could correct me if I'm wrong. You're going to see them more in a service based industry. Like I, I was in marketing research before, but if you're in the business world, and that company is obviously concerned about you, um, you know, doing something that's going to hurt them, that's different. I mean, a hospital situation, medical field, uh, doesn't make well, sense. Well, I mean, non competes have to be strictly limited to the legitimate interests of the employer. And from what I read in the story, the employer's interest here was we want to help fight COVID. And if these people leave, it's going to leave us short staff. Now, I don't know that there's a non-compete that's at issue here. I I don't know that. I'm just, I'm trying to think of some reason that would justify what the judge did. That would be one. I I don't know that that's what happened. Right. I mean, it wouldn't be the first thing that's unprecedented. In the era of Corona fascism, a lot of unprecedented things have happened. So 
this might be the first time that a mm-hmm. judge is compelling a person to work, like in 1984 or Marxist uh, Russia or China, like compelling mm-hmm. a person to work in a specific job, which is extremely disturbing. It goes without saying. Yeah. Well, it's an emergency, you know. It's an emergency. Oh, it's an emergency, so it's okay then. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, Gina, did we give you time? No, and I just got a real, real quick one though. Um, I'm just curious to everybody's thoughts on what is going to happen with the Supreme Court case uh, for affirmative action based on Harvard and UNC, because it's going to affect more than just emissions and just want to take a vote. Maybe who thinks it's going to get overturned, but that there's what kind of action is going to happen. Are they hearing it this term or next term? I think it's this term, if I remember correctly. Almost positive it's this term. Yeah, it's this term. Um, my guess is that it will be modified yet again, but not overthrown, I think. Because this is um, the fourth time, right, that it's going to be heard? Yeah, I think uh, uh, obviously Roberts will side with the libs, and I think Kavanaugh will betray us on this. Well, but the, last, be modifications. the last pair of cases was in 2003, the Michigan cases. And as I recall from those opinions, they... Uh, they split. I forget which one went which way, but uh, even the one that blessed affirmative action said, this is not something that can last indefinitely. It's going to have to end sometime soon. Didn't and that case 20... say something about two weeks to flatten the curve? Well, we're 20 <laughs> years later. Is this case different? Is this, the first time, is this the first time Asian students are suing for them being harmed? Mm-hmm. So is this different than other cases? Who are the plaintiffs? Who's suing the, the Asian community suing uh, Harvard and UNC? And that's the first time, right? No, well, no, I mean, there was Michigan too, right? Yeah, and I mean, even Asian. going back to the to the original right. case in 1978, the Backey decision was a white guy who wanted to get into medical school at University of California Davis and said that they discriminated against him because he was white, and they acknowledged that and they said that quotas are no are illegal, but race as a factor is okay. Um, but he said he was saying he was discriminated against because he was in a, you know, he was, you know, too good for the, cl- you know, for the school. And uh, they still the split decision still went against them. Yeah, there's always that. But Ed, did you get your last words? Uh, me, I think we covered all the things that I was going to talk about today. I just want to bring up one really quickie. The Olympics are coming on really, really quickly, are they not? And apparently the TV stations aren't even sending their people over. China's sort of kind of locked down. They're afraid the athletes um, are going to have their phones monitored, if not worse. So is there still any point for calling for a boycott like some people are doing? And is, are we giving China way too much? Uh, what's the word I'm looking for in English? Um, not credibility, but allowing them to have what some people are calling the genocide Olympics. Well, or the, the Berlin Olympics, right? I'm sorry? Or, or the Berlin Olympics. Right, right. Better word, yeah. And we spoke about it months ago, but it's common. The problem with a boycott at this point, I mean, the problem with a boycott is that it doesn't mean anything unless there's articulated reasons. I mean, just to say, well, we're not going because they're bad guys doesn't do anything. I mean, if you want to make a moral statement and say that they're that they're you know responsible for covid although i i think that fauci and the people here are just as responsible as they are um if you want to lay out that they're stealing our technology that they're 
trying to infiltrate our universities and infiltrate our, our, our culture. I mean, that's a tough argument to make just on the fly when we, when they have, they haven't been making it all along. Um, you know, personally, I think that we should be completely disassociating from China. I don't care if an iPhone costs $10,000 instead of the thousand dollars I pay today. Um, I'll just make it last longer or I'll go back to a flip phone if I have to. Um, but to just do a boycott for the sake of boycott, that's almost what Jimmy Carter did in 1980. And what are we third- boycotting for? See, I mean, that's the thing. It's exactly what Ed is saying. Are, I, I, I hate to do this, but I agree with that tech guy the other day is that, you know, really, we don't care about the Uyghurs. I mean, yes, it's bad. Yes, it's bad that they have concentration camps and forced labor and, um, you know, organ harvesting and all of the awful things. But in the grand scheme of life, the Uyghurs fall below the line of my giving a damn. And that's what he said. And I kind of agree with him. What I care mostly about is China's destruction of the United States. Yep. I mean, of us, of you and I, of of Americans. I care about their evil towards Americans. I mean, I, I guess in some vague notion, I care about the fact that they're so awful to the Uyghurs, um, you know, in some conceptual thing, but I, I much rather care. I, I care about the fact that we don't produce any pharmaceuticals anymore in the United States. It's all in China and that we don't produce any medical equipment in the United States and all. It's all in China. We don't have to produce any computer chips anymore. It's all in China or Taiwan, which is going to soon be part of China. I mean, that's what I care about. I'm glad that you said all that, Ed, because to me, when I look at the, you know, I've had this debate many times, you know, Gina, you may have heard me at some of our Friday morning gatherings debating, uh, you know, one of the speakers that we've had there. Uh, To me, the the battle between the Uyghurs and and the Chinese Communist Party is like the the battle between the Nazis and the Soviets. We shouldn't have cared one way or the other who won as long as they just kept fighting and killing each other. And that's just how I feel about it. I don't, I don't wish death on anybody, but that's not a fight that matters to me. One wit, one iota. Um, forget about it. It doesn't rise to the level of give a damn. Uh, you know, when the Muslim world decides that they, don't, that they respect us and they respect Jews and they respect Christians, then I'll start to give a damn that they're being slaughtered. They don't seem to give a damn that we're being slaughtered. So I, to me, that doesn't matter that they're, I mean, it's unfortunate, but, and, and I wouldn't do it myself personally, but uh, that doesn't really move my needle at all. And likewise with the Chinese, I mean, I'm not going to defend them either. I mean, they're bad people too. And to me that we don't have any dog in that fight. Okay, folks, with that, we're going to wrap up for the evening. And we thank everyone for being here. We will be back four o'clock next Wednesday. We'll be up as a podcast within about an hour. And as always, please send feedback to ejsshow at protonmail.com. Have a wonderful evening.